to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Keith Bauer gets us back on track in our series, A Life That Pleases God. Faith, as described in Hebrews 11.1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does a life lived through faith look like? Today, we compare and contrast living faith by starting off answering the question, where did we come from? If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we'd love to see you. More information on how you can connect with us here at Unity will follow today's talk. Here is Heath with today's message, We All Live by Faith. This last time we studied the, uh, the topic of faith, we tried as best we could to define what faith is. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But even that, we said, is not a simple definition of faith. That's why God gives us an entire chapter. Here's theoretically what faith is, but here is what faith looks like when it is lived out in your life. And so that's what the whole rest of the book of Hebrews is. It's a journey of faith in Hebrews 11. And so we begin with what faith is, and then we're going to see a progression of what a faith journey looks like. We're gonna look at today what, uh, that we begin with the belief that God exists and that God created all things. And then the following week, we're gonna look at our belief, our faith begins that we don't just believe God exists and that he created all things, but that we believe in his sacrifice that he has given to us through Jesus Christ. And then how we grow and mature and progress in that faith, this walk of faith, the life of faith that God has called us to, is going to lead us to live markedly different than the rest of the world. And so Hebrews 11, we're gonna simply look at verse three today and a few supporting verses when we begin this with a bold proclamation, we all live by faith in one thing or another. Some people have faith in God. Some people have faith in man. But we all live by faith. And the reason we say that too is any answer to the great existential question of where did we come from? The answer is always gonna be a faith answer. And that's because nobody was there rolling tape, you know, when the universe began. Nobody was there with a quill and ink writing down exactly what took place at creation. And so any attempt to answer man's origins is gonna be a faith-based answer. Whether you believe in God or, you know, began all things, or whether you believe that creator or that matter created all things. So we're gonna compare and contrast these two different ideologies that are on very opposite polar ends of the spectrum here, God created all things, matter created all things, and we're gonna look and see which of these produces a more reasonable faith. So first of all, number one, let's look at everything came from God. For that, we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Hebrews says that anytime you're trying to answer the question of creation, it begins with the words, by faith. Faith, remember, is an assurance. It's a persuasion that something is true. It's a conviction of things not seen, that you have this little bit of evidence here, and it leads you to a reasonable conclusion based upon the evidence that you have, much like a jury does. And so our reasonable conclusion from looking out at this universe and how God created everything, our reasonable conclusion is that God created all things. And this is where faith begins, with the belief in the existence of God. A few verses later, if you look down at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, he's going to say this, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your faith journey has to begin with an acknowledgement that there is a higher power beyond us, this this being that we call God. Do you believe that God exists? Have Have you ever put weight on that? Why do you believe that God exists? Do we just believe in God because most of Appalachia here believes that God exists? Is that why you believe? Simply by popular opinion? Is your faith based on popular opinion? Is it simply based upon what you were taught growing up and that's why we believe and so Hindus over there, they believe what they do because they grew up with that and Christians, we only believe Christianity and the existence of our God because that's what we grew up with. If that is the measure of your faith, friends, it's not gonna take much for somebody to come and knock that faith right off and you're gonna become discouraged, possibly disillusioned with the first compelling argument that you hear from a skeptic. How do you know that God exists? And yet faith begins here. We have to believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's those who seek, find. How do we know God exists? 
because the world presents us with compelling evidence for the existence of God. We talked a little bit about Psalm 19 last week. I want to expand that a bit. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4, we said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and that the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That looking out at nature, we can see the, the cosmos and the, the stars, the sun, moon, and all that, and we can it leads us to a, a reasonable conclusion that God created these things. Psalm 19, 2 goes on. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge that we see the sun, the moon, the stars. It speaks to us in a certain way. Now, not audibly. He makes that clear. He says, there is no speech, nor are there words, and whose voice is not heard. So in other words, you're not going to go out into the wilderness and go paddling in a lake in the mountains, and all of a sudden hear God speak out of the heavens to you in an audible voice. You're not, God isn't just going to speak to you in that way. And yet he's saying there's still a speech, there's still a communication that comes from observing nature, a communication from God himself. He goes on and says, their voice is heard throughout all the earth in their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 19 says that when we look at the intricacy of creation, our bodies and how they reproduce and animals after their own kind and how animals have these instinctive natures, how they know when to, where to go to winter where it's warm, like some of y'all do when you go to Florida. You know, and some of these animals, they have certain instincts to hibernate and certain instincts to eat certain kinds of critters that is good for their body. Why do we have all this? It leads us to compelling evidence that there's a loving creator God who created this. Psalm 19 calls these evidences speech. And how far has this speech gone out? Into all the world. And by the way, this, this answers the question of maybe you've been talking to people before, you've shared your, the gospel with people, and they've said, what about those tribes in Africa? It's always Africa for some reason. There's tribes all around the world, but what about the African tribes who have never heard? Are you telling me that God is gonna send that person to hell when they never had a chance to hear? And what Psalm 19 reveals is that's a flawed question. It's a trapping question. It's not a true question. What does that question assume? that they've never heard. What does Psalm 19 say? Day by day utters forth speech. Oh, they have heard, friends. They have seen the message of creation, and the reasonable conclusion is that there's a creator God, and if God exists, he's too great to be ignored, I should seek him. But why then do, does man not seek God when he witnesses that creation? It's because all we like sheep have gone astray. It's because the Romans 3 says, none seeks after God. We have all gone our own way. That's why people don't seek God. It's not because simply they don't have a written Bible in their hands. We have enough evidence in nature that we can see that God exists, that he's a creator God. We refuse him because we don't want to be morally accountable to God. Psalm 19 says that. And so we have to pause and think, why do we believe in God? I'm gonna give you just briefly uh, just some apologetics. Are you okay with that? You know, a, a defense of our faith. Uh, I'm gonna give you three arguments that are given for the existence of God. And uh, these are just reasonable conclusions that we come to here. One is, uh, and there's many more than this, but I'm just gonna give you a few of these. There's the, what's called the cosmological argument uh, from the word cosmos, which doesn't mean the matter out in the universe, but the order of things, scientific laws and things. Where did all that come from? Who created these laws that govern us? It's God. It's the cosmos. It recognizes that we live in what scientifically is called a contingent universe. It means we don't have to exist. Philosophically, we should not exist unless there is a cause. And so the reason that we are here is a series of cause and effect. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, who caused us? What caused us? Something had to cause us. And so if you want to sum up the cosmological argument, it goes like this, everything has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And now we gotta figure out what faith-based answer best answers that question. The universe has a cause. Genesis 1.1 answers that for us though, doesn't it? Aren't you glad? God doesn't even let us go too far in the Bible before he answers that great existential question, where do I come from? In the beginning, God. There's no doubt there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second argument here is the teleological argument. These are big words, I realize. Let's break it down a little bit. It comes from the word telos, which means the end. You use that term in English sometimes. Sometimes you call on a telos phone, don't you? A telephone. Or a, maybe a long time ago, they would, in a cowboy western, they'll tap out on a telos graph, a telegraph. 
It means it takes two endpoints and it connects them together. So telos is the end of something. And the, the idea here is that when we look at creation, it shows us an endpoint. And it, we can draw reasonable conclusions from viewing that endpoint. Because there's an intricate design, therefore there is an intricate designer. You know, if you ever go hiking, I love hiking. If you ever go hiking through the woods and you decide to kind of be a real brave man, you get off the trail and all of a sudden you, like a lot of people in national parks, you got lost. And you're not quite sure where to go, but you see in the distance at the top of the trees, you see smoke. And your first conclusion is maybe there's humans there. So you begin with this, just this vague hope, you begin to seek out that smoke. And as you get closer, you start to realize, it doesn't smell like wood burning or fire or like so much as it is uh, somebody's cooking meat. And you know how it is with men. We are inexorably drawn towards smoked meat. And so that the evidence says continue to seek this out because you're hungry. And so we seek this out and then lo and behold, through the clearing, we see that there's a log cabin in the middle of the woods. What is your first conclusion? Wow, how lucky are we that nature just happened to form a cabin where we needed it to be? You know, you're looking at the the logs, they're all carved out so that they nestle right along with one another. It's built exactly for human dwelling. It's got a door cut into it. There's uh, a window cut into it. Somebody put glass in it. And for the chimney, there's stonework that is kind of cemented together and smoke is rising out. And you peek in the windows and you see a couch and a chair and a table. And your reasonable conclusion is this happened by accident. I know we laugh about it because you're like, that's just ridiculous. This just happened here. But this, and in a far greater way, the scientific community would have us believe that this universe is a cosmic accident, that over time and chance, eventually nature is gonna build a log cabin by itself. Because your bodies and your brains and your eyes and the ecosystem together is far more complex than building a log cabin. And yet that is what we're expected to believe. Psalm chapter eight, verses three and four gives us the teleological argument. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful him and the son of man that you care for him? He's saying that when I see the end point of creation, my reasonable conclusion is God exists. Not only that, but it tells me things about God, that he's great and that he's amazing. And a knowledge of God causes man to immediately look in on himself and realize, wow, he's great, I'm not. He's holy, I'm not. He's powerful, I'm weak. And then we begin to think, who am I that you're even aware of my existence? I'm nothing but a tiny speck of nothingness in this universe. And this is what nature teaches us when we look at it. The problem is, is we don't like the answer that nature gives us. There's a third argument I wanna give you here called the moral argument, that man is a moral being. I don't care if you go to Rome, the Kalahari, or Catlettsburg. You have moral beings, and you know what's even more interesting is, you go to each one of these places, we all have a similar belief in what is right and wrong, don't we? Which is really, really odd because the animal kingdom doesn't have a sense of morality. Oh, there's instinct that they follow, sure, but not morality. Monkeys do not stay up at night with these great existential questions of why do I exist? They're simply, you have the food that I want and I'm taking it. But we, we dwell on that. Do, does my life have meaning? You know, where am I going? What, why is this all here? The Bible gives us those answers, the world does not. Uh, so we're moral beings, no matter where you go in the world, when you visit another country, you don't ask your interpreter, hey, is it okay if I murder this guy over here? It's, I know it's illegal in my country where I grew up, but is it, is it legal here? You're laughing, you're like, of course it's illegal. We all have this sh same moral law code. Murder is always wrong. Rape is always wrong. Assault is always wrong. Theft is always wrong. Lying is always wrong, unless you're a politician or sometimes a major news network, okay? But we have this sense in which there's a right and wrong. Whether we live up to that law code is another story altogether, but we all believe in this similar law code. Why do all these cultures, I don't care if you're the Bushmen of the Kalahari or if you're some aboriginal tribe in the middle of Australia and completely separated, they still have the same moral law code. It's evidence that we have a designer who created us in his image, which means that we have on our hearts the law of God such that we have a conscience. We know what's right and wrong. Romans 2 speaks to that. He says Gentiles, and in this case, he's talking about those who are non-Jews, those who don't have the Bible, therefore 
You know, they're, they're not followers of God typically, they're unsaved. He says, Gentiles who do not have the law, they don't have God's physical moral law code in front of them. Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires. In other words, you know, the law says do not steal. They already knew stealing was wrong. Law says do not lie. We already knew lying was wrong. Why? It's because we have a conscience. This little inner Jiminy Cricket saying, hey, don't do that. Probably shouldn't pull your sister's hair. You know, we have this conscience in us that tells us things are wrong. He says, uh, their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, some will falsely teach that you don't need the Bible to be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's not what this is teaching. He says that even without the law, there's a law that will judge you, a sufficient law to judge you. By the way, does the law ever save? Are you saved by keeping the law? By the works of the law shall no man be justified in his sight. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. So we know this isn't teaching that you can be saved by the law. The Bible in Romans says that by the law is simply the knowledge of sin. The law is here to convict you. The law is here to show you that you're guilty. That's the only purpose of the law. The law is to show you that you're not good enough. That's it. And then it's supposed to cause you to seek the God of nature. Who is, who is this God that created all things? And he says that, but because we have this internal evidence within us, this conscience, that's sufficient evidence so that God can judge us in the, in the future. He says, even without a physical Bible in front of you, you knew, according to your conscience, you were doing wrong. You knew you needed forgiveness. You knew you should seek forgiveness. You, you knew that that nature is created by a moral God. Who is man that you're mindful of us? We knew these things. We just don't want to admit that it's true. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. This word universe is not simply referring to matter in the universe. That's the Greek word cosmos. This is the word uh, ion. Uh, we get the word English word aeon from it, referring to a lot of times uh, epoch and, and time. And so this is talking about the broad, a broader term referring to time and reality. All of reality was brought into existence by God. By faith, we accept that. And for reality to exist, there's a number of different scientific properties that need to take place and all at the same time. We call it a continuum. You know, time, space, and matter. If you don't have matter, you don't matter. Eh. Don't laugh at that. If you don't, you got matter, it has to exist, but you can't have matter without space. You have to have somewhere to, otherwise where would you put it? And you have nowhere to put it if you don't have a when to put it. When are you going to put it? And so time, space, and matter have to exist in a continuum all at the same time for reality to exist. The Bible says by faith, we believe that God brought that continuation, continuum into existence. When was it? Genesis 1.1, again. There's so much in that one verse. In the beginning, what's that? Time. God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's all that, that is matter. God brought all of that in together at the same time, and it had to be that way. You couldn't bring in one at a time, or reality would not exist. And so by faith, we understand that the universe was created, it says, by the word of God. This word here is referring to a spoken word or expression. It simply means that by faith, we believe that God created the world the way God said he created the world in Genesis chapter one and verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. By faith, we believe that. Now, we can't see that out here in nature, but we believe that's true because the Bible tells us that it's true. That is what makes it faith. By faith, we understand, uh, we don't have to understand how God did it, how God created it, how God could just will us into existence to create uh, from what we call ex nihilo, from uh, something from nothing, how God can do that. But if you're talking about an infinite, powerful creator God, that's not a problem for him. And yet we have a lot of Christians who really struggle internally with a literal seven-day creation. Why do we struggle so much with that? Let me offer you the main reason why we truly struggle with that. It's because most of the people around us don't believe in that. Do you ever find it hard to hold to a position that nobody else is holding to? It's tough to hold to those positions. In fact, we feel a lot of tension to kind of peer pressure and to believe what the world believes simply because most of the people believe it. Do you find the truth by popular opinion? What does the Bible say about those going to hell? 
wide is the gate that, that leads to destruction. Most folks are going to hell. <clears throat> the Bible's saying most people on the great issues of life are wrong. That if you're going to be on the side of what's right in that straight, in that, in that narrow, jagged path and difficult is the way that leads to life, few there be that find it, you're not gonna be in great company. Your faith cannot rest on the fact that most of us believe in this. You're gonna have, your faith is gonna have to rest in a handful of us believe in what God's word says. And God's word says that God created the world in seven days. I believe that for a couple of big reasons. One is God didn't need even that much time. Realize that. If people ask you to describe your God, we think of the three omnis, don't we? Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Omni just meaning infinite. There's no limit to it. So God is omnipotent. Does God have enough power to create the world in seven days? He does, doesn't he? In fact, God didn't even need seven days. In a moment, God could have created a universe infinitely bigger, if that's possible, in a fraction of a second. He didn't need seven days. He's, his power is unlimited. Is it that God's not big enough to make everything at the same time? No, God is omnipresent. It means he's everywhere present. That every God could be individually working on every molecule at the same time in the universe because he's there everywhere. Is God just not smart enough to make the world in seven days? No, he's omniscient, which means his intelligence is without limitations. God can be individually at the same time contemplating every single atom all at the same time and being in control of every atom of the universe because that's our God. The second reason I though, believe in a literal seven-day creation, though, is uh, honestly because of the Hebrew language. A lot of Christians, to try to make it a little bit more palatable to a scientific mind, will say, well, you know, God says God created the world in seven days, but really he meant those were ages or epics. Brief little, can you tolerate just a brief little simple Hebrew lesson? Okay, real quick. Uh, the Hebrew word for day is the word yom, Y-O-M. On your calendar, you call it Yom Kippur, don't you? Uh, yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So the Hebrew word for day is yom. Now, the word yom can actually mean a, a literal 24-hour period, or it can mean an epic. How do we know? Context. What is, the, what is the passage speaking about? The second thing we know is every time in Hebrew that the word yom is connected to a numeral, when God says on the first day, on the second day, on the third day. It only in the Bible ever refers to a literal 24-hour period. If it's talking about the day of the Lord, it's not talking about one day or first or second. The day of the Lord is an age. But when he attaches a numeral to it, whether it's the Bible, and even if you study Hebrew in ancient Hebrew literature, you're going to find that yom with a number always only refers to a, 20, a literal 24-hour period. So let's understand that it's consistent to believe in a literal seven-day creation because it's consistent with the language, and it's also consistent with the power of our God. God doesn't need a crutch. He doesn't need your or my help to help explain how God created the world in seven days. Nothing you say about God is gonna make sense to an unsaved world anyway. So just don't try to play nice, you know, be friendly, but don't try to diminish your faith in God and his ability simply so that your friends will see you as a little less crazy. Because they still think you're a little crazy, you believe in God. So Hebrews 11.3, it says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, the spoken word, literal seven days, so that, okay, and now he's going to compare what we believe with what literally every other origin story teaches. We believe by faith that God created all things so that what is seen, what we can see out here in nature, we believe that it was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, we don't believe that matter created matter. We don't believe that just simply pre-existing eternal matter created all life. We believe that God created all things. And that leads us to point number two. You either believe that God created all things intentionally, lovingly, with order, or you believe that matter is preexistent and eternal and just created things on its own. You know, that's what the uh, Egyptians taught. That's what man has always taught, by the way. Uh, Egyptians taught that there was this primordial ooze that just existed, it was eternal. And then one day that ooze decided to offer up and create their chief deity, Ra, who then created these lesser deities, emanations. It gave way to uh, something theologically we call henotheism. You got this big God, and you got a whole bunch of little Barney Fifes, you know, a whole bunch of little gods that kind of surround him and do his bidding. So the, Hebrew, or the Egyptians believed in this primordial ooze, this pre-existing matter. The Japanese, they teach, uh, they, they tell uh, their creation myth, if you will, is that the universe is flat. Forget flat earth theory. They believe the whole universe was flat. 
And in the beginning of their story, there was again, was this shapeless ooze and there was dead silence. And they just called this state chaos. And so out of this chaos, all of a sudden, uh, a sound began to happen. We don't know why, don't ask. Uh, but the sound began to happen and then these, this matter began to coalesce into these different forms and out came life and here we are. If you study the ancient Chinese creation myths and Taoism and things, they believe that there was this, this, uh, this vital energy of the universe, this matter that all existed in this dense state and then from that it just kind of began to morph and change into all these cosmic binaries, you know, male-female, that's a binary, right? Uh, male-female. Light and dark, tall and short, powerful and weak, summer and winter, all these binaries. So that's Taoism. You ever heard of yin and yang? It's yin and yang, but in America, yin and yang, you've heard of that. The circle with the two dots, the black and the white, and you know, these equal and opposite forces. You got hot on one side, cold on the other. And so everything in life for them corresponds to a yin or a yang. You know? And so, uh, by the way, the woman is the yin and the man is the yang. And guess what, the, what else corresponds to the woman? Cold, evil, black, darkness, winter, and weakness. Can you tell that a man created this religion? <laughs> like sometime after he had a really big fallout with his wife. I will inviscerate you in my religion. But that's what they teach, and I don't care which culture you study, they all begin with pre-existing matter that becomes their god. You can, you, we saw it in the Egyptians, the Japanese, the Chinese, the Greeks, the Nords, the Hindus, the Native Americans, and even today, those who claim to be atheists, which by the way, a little more on that later, atheism is a religion that chooses to make man their God and matter God. Every one of them begins with a pre-existing eternal matter source, which functionally becomes your God. And it leads us to the conclusion of worshiping not Father God, but whom? Mother Nature. Nature has no mother, but it does have a father. Even our modern theories, we kind of laugh at some of these things, you know, but our modern theories really aren't that much more advanced than some of the stuff we've already heard. I want you to think about within the last 100 years or so, uh, for about 100 years or so, the nebula theory was sort of this accepted model of creation. It was a theory, it still is. It means it can't be proven. It means it requires faith. Uh, the nebula theory that there was just this swirling cloud of gases and things in the universe and then all of a sudden, you know, we don't know quite why, but uh, the universe began to kind of expand and, and flatten into a disk and it created the world's first star and eventually, yada, 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 you and I show up. Scientists in the 1940s developed what's called the solid state theory that the universe has no beginning or no end. And basically what they're postulating is that the universe is constantly creating things to balance the universe in this sort of equilibrium. Are you understanding and seeing here how either God is your creator or you're gonna make matter your creator? You're gonna worship matter? Because matter in science, we attribute all the attributes of God to matter, don't we? It's, it's eternal, God is eternal. So now matter is eternal. God created all things, matter creates all things. God is sovereign and keeps the universe flowing in an orderly way. Matter is sovereign and spontaneously creates things to balance equilibrium in the universe. So all of us live by faith. You're either trusting that God does these things and for a purpose or that you and I are just victims of cosmic time and chance. Can I point you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, speaking about Christ? It says, For by him, Christ, all things were created on heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, even talking about the spiritual world of angelic and demonic forces here. All things were created through him and for him. Who is eternal? It's Jesus. It says, And he is before all things. He existed long before anything was ever created. And it says, and in him all things hold together. Why do molecules hold together? It's through the power of Christ. Scientists can't tell you why they hold together because honestly, the, the matter of the universe should be blowing itself apart. We're not sure why everything stays together. But the Bible says, in Jesus, all things hold together. So no, matter is not our God that sovereignly cares for the universe and an ecosystem in balancing itself out like the force you know, Jedis and Sith Lords and things. That's not the universe at work. This is God at work. It's Jesus. In him, all things 
hold together. Why won't man believe this? Why won't man choose? Why does man want to believe in a cold, meaningless existence with no creator God where matter is our God rather than worshiping God? It's because matter has no moral compass. Matter is never going to challenge how you live. Matter is never going to tell you, by the way, you probably shouldn't be getting drunk. You probably shouldn't live together with your boyfriend before marriage. Matter is never going to tell you, probably shouldn't cuss that guy out. Probably shouldn't punch him in the nose. Probably shouldn't wave at a guy in an unfriendly way when he cuts you off in traffic. Matter is never going to convince you like that. Matter is going to let you do whatever you want. And that's where mankind, we want to be. I want to be left alone to live my life, my way, where I am sovereign and I'm my own God. Matter lets you be your own God. But when we acknowledge the existence of a perfect creator God, that begins to challenge us. And so if I want to live life my way, I've got to create a new origin story. Despite all the evidence out in space, all the evidence on earth, I'm going to shove that aside and I'm going to choose to cre create a creation story that fits my lifestyle. And so you get these fantastical tales. We worked amongst Tibetans for a number of years. The Tibetans believe there's a lot to their creation myth, but uh, amongst their stories is where you and I come from. There was this great monkey, and he's swimming in this vast ocean, and, and then eventually one day he chances upon a female demon, once again created by a man. He chances upon a female demon, and they mate, and they produce you and I. So evidently we're all half demon in the Tibetan world. And you kind of laugh at that and say, you know what, but we're so much more advanced than the Tibetans. Nobody would ever create a belief system where, belief system where we all believe that we came from ancestral monkeys. Right? I mean, we're smarter than that, aren't we? That we all came from ancestral monkeys? I mean, open up your kid's sixth grade science book and you're gonna see that our thinking on origins has not advanced too far beyond where the Tibetans are or were. Professing to be wise, Romans will say, we become fools. So despite all the origin theories, I just want to say this, that none of these origin stories have ever gained universal acceptance. And that's because whenever you teach on the origins of man, they all require us to put faith in something. And all scientists are not willing to put their faith in the same theories. Consider the latest scientific guess. The Big Bang Theory, how does that go? It begins with a singularity. What's a singularity? Mind you, a singularity cannot be proven. Star Trek fans, a singularity is what they hypothesize is in the middle of a black hole. It's where there is no, there's no sense of matter. Uh, all scientific and physical laws are disregarded. Why do we have to believe in a singularity to believe in evolution? Because evolution breaks every scientific law that we know. For you to believe in evolution, you have to disregard scientific law. And now science, for you to believe in that, religion, demands that you put your faith in a singularity that is only a hypothesis of astrophysics. But put your faith in this theory, put your faith in Star Trek, that there's this crazy thing out there that you can't see and we can't observe, we can't scientifically test, but just trust us that it's true based on our astrophysical model, that there's a place where scientific law doesn't matter. So it begins with a, <clears throat> with a singularity. And it rapidly heated and cooled. We don't know why. Because an object at rest is supposed to stay at rest. But somehow it just started rapidly heating and cooled. And then dust and ga gases formed into planets. Things went from a disorganized state into an organized state. Again, that breaks scientific law. You need to understand that. And then from that, life came about from those dead particles in something the scientists are calling biogenesis. Does biogenesis exist? It does not. Biogenesis is yet another theory that scientists want to believe. In fact, there's no way for them to prove it right now, but it doesn't stop them from built, spending billions of dollars on hadron colliders out in Waxahachie, Texas, so that we can find the Higgs boson particle, which is also, what are they calling it? The God particle. Man is spending billions of dollars of research desperately trying to find something more than a theory, something that's provable, that we could have come from something other than an infinite creator God. Why do we put all that money into that? Because we have to believe. If I want to go living my life my way, where I'm God, I have to disprove God and prove that unlife, or that life can arise from unlife. It's scientifically impossible, but it's not going to stop man from trying to find it. It requires faith. 
Problem is, is biogenesis can't work, can it? There's this second law of thermodynamics that's a problem, the law of entropy. All matter goes from an organized state to a disorganized state. All energy and the usable energy in the universe go, is being used up. The natural byproduct, because of the second, by the way, this is a law, it's testable and provable. According to the second law of thermodynamics, what is the natural byproduct of time and chance? If you wait for a long time, you leave your cell phone out for a long time, is it gonna be, uh, you're gonna be making a phone call on it in three weeks? You are not, because the natural byproduct is it's going to run out. Same thing with every sun and star in the universe. The natural byproduct of a sun and star is to burn out and disappear. So if we existed for an infinite amount of time, billions of years, we shouldn't have any suns, we shouldn't have any life. But we want you to believe that these have all existed for billions of years, because we desperately need you, need you to believe in our theological system. And that's what evolution is. It's a, it's a theological system where we place faith in matter and not in God. They ask us to believe that faith, that by faith that something produced nothing. That a singularity exists when we don't know that it did. When something caused it to explode, when for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, we don't know what caused it to explode, but it did. Just take that by faith. That life sprang from inorganized matter that it somehow had something to eat when it did you know, end up creating, and that cells just miraculously kind of coalesced and formed together in living particles out of dead particles, and that those cells chose to become increasingly complex, turning into single cell and multi-cell organisms, and then eventually into you know, fish and lizards, and that lizards became birds, and that birds became mammals, and mammals became monkeys, and that monkeys produced you and I. But that none of that process still happens today. That's why we don't see half monkey, half men running around anymore, except for in junior high picture day, moms. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why are you going to school on picture day like that? You know, so we don't see that anymore. And so science demands that we put faith in their theory. And by the way, let's not make any mistake about it. Big Bang, it's called a theory. Evolution is called a theory. What is a theory? Something that cannot be proven, otherwise it'd be called law. According to Oxford, a theory is a supposition of ideas to explain something. Open up that same dictionary and thumb your way over to a supposition. What is a supposition? An uncertain belief. Evolution is an uncertain belief. What do we call belief when you choose to put your faith and belief in something? <laughs> That's a religion. Make no mistake about it, the evolutionary theory, the Big Bang theory, all of that steady state theory, nebula theory, the tidal theory, all of those theories that, that, that science demands that we trust in their theology, they're all, they're all theological principles to explain the existence of man. And they, when they ask us to put our faith in a theory, that is a religion. And now the textbooks become our Bible. The universities become our seminaries. Our schools become our churches. Our children become the members of those churches. And their proselytization is through public shame. Are you so stupid as to believe in a creator God? This is a, evolutionary theory is nothing short of a religious system. So much so that physics professor T.L. Moore out of the University of Cincinnati said this, to talk of the evolution from sea slime to amoeba, amoeba to self-conscious thinking man, means nothing. It's the easy solution of a thoughtless brain. That's a Princeton PhD talking right there. You want to talk science? Scientists like to make you think that everybody universally agrees on this. They don't, because it's a religious system that requires faith. And even the scientists don't universally have faith in their theories. As a people, how did we get from, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, to instead, let's trust in a scientifically impossible explosion that created all life? Romans 1 answers that for us. <clears throat> Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, and ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's obvious to them that God exists, but man, because of his unrighteous living, he suppresses, he holds back like a child holding a beach ball under the water to trick his brother. Where'd the beach ball go? I don't know. He's holding it under, he's holding it back. It's not visible, but it's still there. That's what man does, the Bible says, with the truth. It's obvious. It's clearly perceived by the things that are made. But it's our unrighteousness that causes us to refuse to come to terms with them. If I believe that God exists, I'm in moral trouble, aren't I? 
Verse 20 says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. When it says that man has perceived these things, it doesn't mean that man has just observed, hey, have you seen the moon? Hey, have you seen the trees? Have you seen the water? I know that these exist. This word perceived means that man fully accepts and understands the significance of what those things mean. Man understands that when we see the moon, the stars, who is man, that you are mindful of him. The Bible says we perceive naturally that we are born theists. Atheism is the byproduct of teachers taking theists and training the theist right out of you. You have to be trained to be an atheist because the natural byproduct, the Bible says, of viewing the, the sun, moon, stars, and nature is that you believe that there is a powerful creator, God. So why, what has man done with this knowledge? Verse 21, although he knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Do we have any really smart, foolish people today? I don't know, like people who say that men can have babies. I know we laugh at that. It's just like, who would ever believe that? But it's not that they're stupid. It's that their hearts are darkened. They refuse to believe and accept the truth. And it says that so their foolish hearts were darkened in the Greek. This term darkened refers to a planet that has been completely obscured by light. It can refer to like the dark side of the moon. It can refer to uh, a solar eclipse. Have you ever seen a, a solar eclipse? Some of us in this room may have even witnessed a full, a total solar eclipse. Back in 1979, how many were humans back in 79? Uh, some of us not. But back in 1979, there was a complete solar eclipse and uh, Ohio, was it Ohio State? Ohio something. One of those universities in Ohio, they took a group of students up to Manitoba and they, Canada by the way, and they went up there and they were going to witness this total eclipse of the sun, and from what I understand, it went from daylight to absolute darkness in the middle of the day. Just this bizarre phenomenon. Now, it's not that the sun ceased to exist, or that the light rays were not still shining. It's simply that it was blocked from man receiving those life-giving rays. That's the term the Bible uses to describe what happens to our thinking when we ignore the obvious nature of the existence of God. He says eventually we come to a place where we begin to believe our own lies. We begin to believe that, that God doesn't exist. We begin to believe all these theories because it suits my lifestyle. It says our hearts have become darkened. It's not that God doesn't exist. It's that we refuse, we block it. We refuse to allow God's life-giving rays to come to us. The gospel is God removing that so that those life-giving rays can bring to us eternal life. God calls the denial of this evidence foolish. That it's unwise, it leads to a darkened state of man. It leads man into a place of darkness where God's life-giving rays aren't here. When you see a culture that has completely plucked God out of it, do you see darkness? You ever wonder why today, unlike certain eras and epochs in American history, why we have so much violence against people? It's not just the tools that they're using. Now, I'm not making a gun violence case here uh, as much as I am a heart case. You don't need guns to kill a lot of people. I was, in, I was preaching in Kunming, China one Sunday. A mile and a half down the road in the train station, a bunch of guys came in with uh, bags full of machetes. They opened it up and they hacked to death 36 people in just the span of a few moments. You don't need guns to kill a lot of people. What is, it, what is man's real problem? It's their heart. The problem is that the government's not a theological institution. They can't say, friends, as a president, can you imagine him standing up, public address, saying, friends, the problem of our nation is that we have rejected our creator, God, and we have set up a different reality for ourselves. And our problem will be solved if we will all repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ. You can't say that. So all you have to do is handcuff people, take things away, make sure they don't hurt each other with their toys. And that's what we're left with. We're left with a bunch of people who are depressed, suicidal, and violent. How do we get there? It begins with understanding that your life means nothing. You tell somebody that they came from nothing, that you're nothing but animated dirt. Is that going to change how you view the world? Back when these theories, it used to be once upon a time that in the U.S. creation was just taught in science classes. 
okay, within the 1900s, in the better part of it. It wasn't until the mid part of the 1900s that, uh, in the 1950s or so, that evolution and some of these European theories started coming in and really gaining traction even within the school system. It wasn't just some crazy science guy making up this idea. It was in our schools. And then it started changing the way our students behaved. And so the Hollywood released a, a famous movie with James Dean, you remember him? Called Rebel Without a Cause. Why is this guy so rebellious? Why is he getting into fights? You know, why is he skipping school? Why is he joining a gang? Why is he rebelling against his parents? It's not even for a cause. He, just, he doesn't even want anything. He's just rebelling and he doesn't know why. And it's almost like if you watch the movie, the movie tries to give you an explanation for the answer. If you've ever seen the movie, it figures very prominently in the movie a planetarium. You know that place you go to with the big rounded domes and you kind of sit back and some professor guy is telling you about the stars and how you evolved from monkeys millions of years ago. And planetarium, and so these students are there and this professor or whatever was teaching these high school kids basically that they came from nothing and that eventually the earth will die and we're all gonna become nothing again. That's kind of where this movie really begins is in this planetarium. And then he said, and I quote, we will disappear into the blackness of space from which we came, destroyed as we began in a burst of gas and fire. And at that point, there's this grand explosion that goes across the ceiling of this planetarium, but the, the movie doesn't focus on the explosion. Instead, it pans over to the kids. And it shows you all these flashes of light on these kids' faces, and they look horrified and scared and genuinely terrified. This guy just told us that we came from nothing, we're going to nothing, and that our life doesn't matter. And then he says, and this is how he concludes the planetarium exhibit. He says, man existing alone seems an episode of little consequence. And then the lights turn on. That's what evolution teaches you. You came from nothing, you're going to nothing, and what you do in the meantime with your life is of little consequence. So if you wanna live immorally, go ahead. You wanna be violent and murderous, go ahead. You just wanna live for things, go ahead. What does your life matter? There is no God, and without God you have no reference point for eternity, no purpose for why you live. Friends, that is a hopeless proposition, and yet that is the very message of evolution. Man dying alone, seems an episode of little consequence. Evolution produces rebels without causes. You don't know why you're upset. You don't know why society is falling apart. You don't know why people are looting and breaking businesses down, why they push old men in front of buses, why they, people just walk down the street and just punch some random individual, why somebody will run over a woman with her baby in a stroller. All those things happen, by the way. Why is society falling apart, coming apart like that? It's because we said in the beginning, nothing. And that leads to nothing but depression and frustration and bitterness and suicide. Can I just ask you, friends, today, if you've come here today and you're discouraged and you feel like your life has no point, no meaning, that it's going nowhere and it really doesn't matter what you do, can I offer you an alternate solution? Stop putting your faith in matter that matter is sovereign, that matter created you, and that ultimately matter will end you, and in the end, in the final analysis, your life and what you did with it doesn't matter at all. The alternative is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let us make man in our image. As a child that is created by God, your life has significance. You bear the image of God in your heart. Your life has meaning as you serve God. Every little thing that you do, God calculates for good or evil. And he doesn't judge you by that, he judges you by the blood of Jesus Christ. But for those of us who are believers, we will have a different judgment where God will reward us for every little thing we do. So our life is, has consequences in a good way that when we devote ourselves to the Lord and we live our life for him, our life can matter and mean something beyond the few 50, 60, 70 years that God gives us on earth. All men live by faith because all men have an opinion of where we came from. The question this morning is, where's your faith? Is it in matter? Is matter gonna be your God? And you're gonna disappear into nothingness? an episode of little consequence? Or are you gonna to choose to believe in a divine creator God who created you distinct from animals, 
where you bear the image of God and the moral being that God is is within your heart to know right from wrong and placing your faith in him, you can have eternal life and your life now takes on a whole new purpose than just feeding this body and sustaining this sack of chemicals until the day I die. There's more to life than that. Put your faith in Jesus today. Father, we thank you today that as we study your word, we have hope. Your word tells us that these things that were written aforetime were written for our learning so that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. God, as we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we read things like, let us make man in our image, we realize that our being, our existence, has eternal value. When we read on further in John 17, when Jesus is praying right before he goes off to die, he says, Father, I pray that they may be with me where I am. That we have a God, not who simply judges our sins, but who loves us so desperately, he wants to spend time with us. He wants us to eat at his table. He wants to dwell eternally with us. God, what a glorious and beautiful system of faith that you have created for us to follow. Father, if there's any here today who are still clinging to old scientific theories that cannot be proven, theories that let us live our life how we want, but in the end, tell us that our life doesn't matter. God, help us to abandon these theories that defy scientific law and help us to understand by faith that you created the universe by your own words. And we believe that what is seen today was not created by that which is visible. If there's any who do not know you, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself in faith this morning. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, may we do as Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments.